What up, fam? <laughs> You're listening to You Had Me at Black. I'm Brittany Abrahams. Do you know what today is? It's the next cycle of At the House. At the House is a collab between our show and the Wild Black podcast. Now, some states are starting to open up, but I know the truth, okay? Wicked Rona is still kicking out there, so my ass is staying in the house. But seriously, I'm going to be real with you guys. I keep thinking about the new normal, how to work, how to date, how to connect, learn and cope when the safest thing to do is limit our contact with other people. And my family sharing stories is how we bond. We created At The House with that in mind to help us all stay connected by doing what we do best. If you're not familiar with how it works, each week we share a new topic and ask y'all to submit stories that fit. You can hear them here every other Wednesday. Then on Sundays, the Wild Black Podcast drops a new episode on that same topic. And they've lined up some really cool guests for perspective and advice. For this cycle, we asked you to send in stories about memorable encounters with teachers. Teachers that inspired you and... Teachers whose names you still can't say without rolling your eyes. (laughs) And y'all did not disappoint. You guys actually made me think about this one time with my favorite teacher, Mr. DeLeo. He taught third grade and was the coolest, sweetest, funniest teacher in the whole elementary school. And he was pretty legendary there. Like, I legit prayed that I would get him as a teacher. So this one day, my white friend told me at recess that she didn't want to be my friend anymore because I was black. I was obviously hurt and confused by it, and it showed all over my face that Mr. DeLeo noticed. He pulled me aside and was like, what's wrong? And I told him when Becky told me. Mr. DeLeo's face started to get this deep frown, and he's like, come here. And he made me stand in front of the class. Now, my mom always dressed me in the latest limited two outfits, and Mr. DeLeo would always be like, ooh, that's a cool outfit. (laughs) So on this day, I had these pants from limited two on with all these colorful stylish patches and they really did look really cool and Mr. Leo's like class look how cool Britt's pants are and the class was like "Ooh, those are cool and so I'm just over here thinking that Mr. DeLeo's just gassing me up to make me feel better but then he turns to me and he's like hey tell the class what just happened at recess I was like huh but I told them And then afterwards, Mr. DeLeo spent the rest of the afternoon teaching us about discrimination and racism. Like he threw away his lesson plan that afternoon and taught this instead. I felt so special. I thought he was so dope. Like I just sat there watching him thinking, wow, he did all this for me. Mr. DeLeo did stuff like that for all his students. He always made us feel like he cared. He was one of the best teachers I ever had. Now, before we get to the other stories, this episode is sponsored by Identity. Have you ever moved and had to update your address in 5011 places, let alone remember all of them? Identity organizes your account in one place, making accessing and updating your info easy peasy. Our listeners can get started for free at identity.com YHMAB. Okay, story time.
we have Kayla. As a teacher herself, she turned an uncomfortable moment in the classroom into a teachable moment. About four years ago, I started substitute teaching. One of my first assignments was at this super tough charter school in Compton. The school was all kinds of disorganized. There was a low retention rate with the teachers and the classes were overcrowded and the students were they were tough. <laughs> when I started subbing there, I was teaching middle school, uh, sixth to eighth grade. So they were about 10 to 13. And I was the substitute English teacher. I was the student's 11th substitute teacher. <laughs> From the beginning, they didn't really expect me to stay very long. But as I sometimes resent. I, I do have a way with kids. So I tend to use this to my advantage when I'm teaching. There are two big things I note when, when I'm teaching and I think are the most important things to note, especially when you're dealing with rougher students and you're trying to be able to run a classroom, especially a very large one that you have no assistance with. I typically establish boundaries early on. I show that I am very serious about those boundaries, even though I know that they're not going to listen to me. <laughs> and the reason why I do this is because students will tell you what you said to them and tell you what you didn't say to them. So it's important to have that log <laughs> there so that they can they can't be like you didn't say that miss, right? The second thing and I think the most important thing is that I observe and I observe a lot. And the reason why I do this is because you want to learn who is the leader, who is the follower, who is the more difficult student, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can know who you should give your attention to when you're trying to gather your class and this is a process and it could take weeks or it could take months for you to kind of get into a groove of that while I was observing I noticed that there was this student uh, I worked with mostly black and Latinx students and there was a young Latinx Latina who was about 12 years old she would often be with the boys and they would be laughing and talking really loudly when they're supposed to be doing their work and they were often talking about sex sex with her usually and who was going to get to do it next etc etc she would talk about the way she does it laugh and giggle when you know basically trying to show that she was the baddest right and you know it would make students uncomfortable but they would either be uncomfortably laughing or kind of turning up their nose at her they and so I, I would shut that down until it's not appropriate for class etc etc but one day in particular they were talking about how they ran a train on her and they were very loud about it and I felt deeply uncomfortable about it and it was something in her eyes I could tell that she wasn't super comfortable about them talking about it either I pulled her aside and I after class when everybody was gone and I told her a couple things and, and this is a tough situation because I'm not a sex ed teacher right so you want to choose your words very carefully I reminded her that her body was her own and if she didn't want to to talk about sex in class that she didn't have to, that she did not need to succumb to pressure to have sex. She did not need to talk about sex to be cool. And she did not need to do anything before she was ready with anybody. And I wanted her to know that she was important. Her body was important. And what she did with it was completely and solely up to her. And how she talked about it was completely and solely up to her. And she didn't have to do anything because... 
the boys around her wanted her to. And again, she was somebody who wanted you to know that she was the baddest and she was all that. And she was definitely someone who the outside world would have aged, right? They, cause she had curves at the time and she dressed a little bit older. So I know that there were already people trying to basically tell her that her body was not her own and were trying to take possession of that in whatever way they wanted to. And I could tell that there was a guard there. And I remember doing this conversation. I saw the moment when the guard came down and the innocence of the 12 year old had come up. And I remember her just looking at me and saying, thank you, miss. I could tell in that moment that no one had ever had that conversation with her. And I knew how important it was to have that conversation with young girls, especially young girls of color. The world is not kind to. So After that, she would never talk about sex in class. She actually got work done. She was still rowdy and she would still like be disruptive, but it was never about sex ever again. And about six months later, I saw her at another school because she had moved to a different side of the city. She was catching me up on other students first. And then she was telling me how well she was doing and she was very focused and very well behaved. And she was really excited to talk to me and wanted to talk to me longer than we actually could talk and I just remember being like this is a person who probably never had a teacher to feel safe around never had a person to feel safe around and here she was with that and I and I wish that I had been able to teach her longer one of the times I felt most privileged to be a teacher and to have taught and I don't I don't teach in classrooms anymore but and I don't know what became of that student I really pray and hope and think and believe that it was something beautiful. Next up is Ronnie. He remembered a caring encounter with Miss Josephine, his fourth grade teacher. When I was younger, I played Little League football with my friends that lived in the apartment complex. One of my really good friends' name was Carlos. We always played football out at recess and in the hallways and sometimes even in class trying to juke each other and just, you know, rough house. One day we were doing that and Miss Josephine told us that we needed to stop horse playing or we were going to get in trouble. So we ended up to proceed and do that anyway. And... I ended up knocking one of the chairs over and she goes, that's enough. Ronnie, I'm calling your mom. We're gonna have a meeting about you because you're not following directions. I was like, no, 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 you don't gotta call my mom. It's cool, it's cool, I won't do it anymore. I'm done. She goes, no, I've asked you multiple times. And since you can't follow directions, you're gonna have to suffer the consequences. So I'm over here thinking that, ah, you know, I don't think she's going to call my mom. My mom might not even answer. She at work. You know, an hour passed by. We're doing assignments and knock, knock. And I look. I'm like, oh, man, who is that? Miss Josephine goes to open the door and <laughs> it's my mom. And I'm like, dang, my mom's here. She goes, all right, come on. Let's go outside. We're about to have a meeting. And so I was thinking this was going to take place like after school. And they was not playing. It was like right then and there when she showed up, <laughs> like, during the school hours. And I was like, ah, oh, man. Miss Josephine proceeded to tell my mom that I was horse playing with my friends and I just wasn't being safe. And so then my mom busted out with, boy, you got me up here at this school missing work because you can't follow directions. Okay. And that's all she said. 
And then she just looked at me and it was just kind of that look that says, all right, when we get home, I'm about to whoop your ass. So then I got a little upset because I knew my friends inside of the classroom heard everything. So I felt embarrassed. So I stormed out and went outside to cool off. And then I went back inside and my mom was like, okay, you get in the classroom and I will see you later. So later on that day, I walked home. And as I was walking home, I noticed that my teacher was following me, like down the street. <laughs> and I lived right down the street from the school. And you know, in the fourth grade, you don't think too much about it. At least I didn't. I was just like, okay, this is awkward, but I'm gonna continue to go home. So I get home, walk upstairs, eat me some cereal, watch cartoons. And I thought to myself, is she still outside? So I went back outside and she was still there. And then she asked me, was my mom home? So I was like, no, she's not. So then my teacher had left and I didn't understand why she followed me home. I don't know if her and my mom scheduled like an appointment or something. I'm really not sure. But throughout the rest of the week, I just went to class and didn't ask any questions and acted like nothing happened. I had a football game that Saturday and at the end of the game, I just remember my mom walking out of the stands with my teacher, Ms. Josephy, and she was like, Ronnie, I'm so proud of you. You had a good game. I just want you to know that you're not in trouble and I understand you love football and I support you in that, but I just want you to know that there's a time and place to roughhouse and play with your friends and school isn't one. And from that day forward, she attended my games with my mom and I, just figured that was a very memorable moment because out of all of my elementary teachers, she was one of the only ones who attended the games with her husband and my mom. And it was just a very special time for me. Now we have Khadija. In a report by the African American Policy Forum called Black Girls Matter, Black girls are 10 times more likely to be disciplined than their white classmates for the same behavior and that punishment is more likely to be harsher and more violent. Khadija knows this firsthand. I'll be talking to you about my experience with my middle school science teacher, Ms. Ajiman. Before I get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Ms. Ajiman. He was a teacher that most of the people in my grade did not like. He was very rude and no one really respected him as a teacher. Overall, he was very hard to get along with. He was my last class of the day. I remember I had gotten my new phone, the HTC 3D phone, which allowed you to take 3D photos. All of my friends that were sitting at my table with me were very interested in how cool my phone was and wanted me to take photos of them using my 3D effect. So that's what I did. Instead of participating in class, we were all taking photos. Miss Ajiman was in the back of the class while we were taking our photos. Before I knew it, he was right in front of me and he grabbed my phone trying to take it out of my hands. I was in shock because I never had one of my teachers violate my personal space like that before. Before I knew it, my reflexes triggered and I punched his arm to try to have him loosen his grip of my phone. I had to hit him a few times before he let go. As he did, he screamed at me to leave his room, which confused me because instead of just telling me to put my phone away, he just decided to grab it out of my hand and then got mad at me because how I reacted. As the day went by, I made sure I did what I had to do to avoid another problem. No one really got their work done because my friends didn't like how Mr. Ajuman handled the situation, so they all acted up. 
Fast forward to the end of the day, the bell had rung, but Mr. Ajman wasn't letting anyone go because no one got their work done. As you guessed it, he's the type of teacher that says, the bell doesn't dismiss you, I dismiss you. So at this point, I was fed up. I had somewhere to go after school, and he was stopping me from getting where I had to go. As he blocked the door so no one could leave, I had grabbed the handle and repeatedly yanked open the door, trying to get out. After a few times of the door hitting him, I got it open enough for me to slip out. He didn't like that. I'm walking out the hallway, and he runs after me. He's calling my name, but I wasn't listening. So he ran up to catch me, and he pulled my hoodie to try to get me to stop. So since my hoodie and my jacket were zipped up to my neck, as he pulled my hoodie, it wound up choking me. I swung around, and I hit him in his face without knowing it was him. The look on his face was pure shock. Then he screamed at me because I had hit him. In my defense, it was a fight-or-flight reaction to me being choked. Then after he let go, I just walked out the school and walked home with my friends. Looking back at it now, I feel like the Khadija that is now would have handled the situation way different. I knew the rules of the classroom settings and I didn't the total opposite. I also feel like he should have kept his hands to himself on both occasions because it's not his place to touch me or to be in my personal space and he was an adult in the situation, so I feel like he should have known how to handle it better. The next day, everything went back to our normal. Nothing was reported, but our relationship was still on the rocks. We still didn't get along, but he never put his hands on me again after that incident. I call this story the time I dodged a major migraine. My mom isn't old, but she sure isn't tech savvy, and she for sure is not organized. So you can imagine my horror when I go to visit her, and she turns to me with a smile so wide that her dimples show. Guess what? She squeals. I'm downsizing. Holy cow. Moving from my childhood home to a townhouse, I guess that is the next step for an empty nester. I hug her tightly. As long as she doesn't ask me to help her pack, I got no worries here. She'll be fine. She got this. Or so I thought. Fast forward a week later, and I'm in her living room, surrounded by boxes, trying to decide what to do with years of stuff that really should be thrown away. She peeks around the corner and asks, how do I cancel my cable? Online, I tell her. She freezes. Oh, well, what's the website? I shrug. Hell if I know. A few minutes later, and she reappears. What's my Amazon login again? I need to change my billing address. And now I see that this move was going to be a lot harder than I thought. And then she's back in the room. Identity, she shouts. Identity! I'm like, huh? But then I remember. A few months ago, I set her up on Identity.com. It's this dope site that organizes all of your online accounts into one place. I'm talking everything from your cable, insurance, and bank account to Amazon, Hulu, and all online shopping sites. You can securely access or update each one whenever you need to. We log into Identity and boom. In seconds, she's updating her billing and shipping details across different sites. Aww, and her wide dimple smile is back too. Who said moving has to be a nightmare? 
So I guess this is really a story of the time identity helped us both dodge a major migraine. You Had Me at Black listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. That's identity, I-D-E-N-A-T-I. In college, Byron sat on the board of a student group. During one particular meeting, the group's advisor, Professor Dana C., left him with an inspiring message. We were sitting down one day really talking about what we wanted to do for the semester. So in the midst of our meeting, we were in that space and someone goes, you know, let's make sure that we're not too black. And without missing a beat, all of us kind of agreed with what they were saying, because being black, you've heard, don't be too black, tone it down a bit, etc. So I really wish y'all could have seen the way Professor C's face turned up right before she read us about this, because Professor C always read you. But it was one of those empowering reads, like after she read you, you were ready to take on the world. You had a new mindset and you were just a different you. She had to ask us, like, what is being too black? Um, I've never heard anybody say, oh, let's not be too white or let's not be too Asian. It's always let's not be too black. And what is that? She really questioned us on what is being too black. In that moment, it made me realize that, you know, there is no such thing as being too black. Why do we censor ourselves? Why do I feel the need to censor myself? Because in every space that we go in, especially if it's white dominated, Black people feel the need to tone ourselves back more. But being black is a state of being. There's nothing that you can do that will make people be like, oh, they're really black or they're not black because you're always black. It made me learn that there is no such thing as being too much of who you are. What is that? So from that moment forward, I took that into every space that I entered. If I was going to be too much of anything in any space, it was going to be too black because too black is what I am. And I'm proud to be too black. Because at the end of the day, we shouldn't feel the need to censor ourselves in spaces. Being who we are, showing up authentically as who we are, opens up the door for so many people. Think about all the things that we could change if we stepped into spaces being who we are instead of cowering and hiding because we feel like, oh, if I show them this side of me, I won't advance. Well, if you want to advance in a space being who you are, then maybe you need to really evaluate if you want to actually be in that space. That is one of the most powerful and most unforgettable moments of my life when I learned that it's never too much, never too much black. Be proud of who you are and always step in every space authentically being who you are and opening up doors for people to be who they are as well. Our next story comes from Monique. Monique used to teach with AmeriCorps, and she supported an OG teacher from Brooklyn named Mrs. James. While Mrs. James poured a lot of love into her first grade class, she played no games. Mrs. James was someone who was extremely passionate about the work that she did each and every day, and she cared deeply about the students that she supported. In a way, she was working with a system that was almost working against her, serving in a public school system that had limited resources, predominantly black, and dealing with students who came from backgrounds that were somewhat disadvantaged. But she never gave up hope. She never let that allow her from providing an amazing educational experience to the students in the classroom. There was one particular day that was a funny moment to me because I had never experienced anything like it or seen anything like it. 
or a scuffle broke out between two boys in the classroom and Mrs. James did everything that she could to break them up. She called for additional assistance. The name of the program was Vigilant Minds. They would come in and they were a counseling group within the school. So we had to wait for them to come and fully take the kids out of the classroom. But on that particular day, she was she had it under control for the most part. But there was one student who sat in the background and said, give me some popcorn. I got to see this. And Miss James, I'll never forget the look on her face. She whipped around and she was like, you think it's funny. If you think it's so funny, you get in there and fight with him. And it was just one of those moments. Uh, she was very old school where, you know, she'd always taught and preached to the children that fighting was wrong and that there were better ways to resolve it. But this one little boy, Dale, in that moment, he kind of reignited the fire that Mrs. James had put out. And so Mrs. James decided to teach him a lesson by trying to make him get in there with the boys as they were scuffling. No one was hurt. And from that moment on, Dale learned that, hey, when Mrs. James is working to solve a problem and fixing things going wrong, I should keep my mouth shut. But more importantly, it was a teaching moment for everyone in the classroom that when those things take place, it's not funny. It's not a spectator event. And that there are other ways to resolve your problems. And that is a moment I'll never forget with her. And just a little backstory on Mrs. James. She, during that time that I worked with her, was battling lung cancer. And she never allowed that to stop her love and care for the children that we supported. And that is something that I will always cherish those moments I had with her because she invested so much time and energy and love and support into the children of her first grade class. Sadly, about a year and a half or two years after I graduated from college, Miss James did ultimately pass away from lung cancer. That is my story that I want to share about Mrs. James, an amazing teacher, mentor, and educator who made an impact on my life. Last but not least, we'll hear from the legendary Tommy Davison. That's right, the Tommy Davison. He's one of the original cast members of In Living Color. For the 90s babies, he played Oscar Proud in The Proud Family. He shared with us a story about how he saved his teacher's life. In high school, I had a teacher named Miss Sandberg, who was my ceramics teacher. She took keen interest in me as a ceramics artist because I was gifted naturally. So I had a lot of my pots and artwork on display in the high school, all around the high school in the glass cases throughout the high school. I never told anybody that that was my work because of peer pressure. I hung out with a kind of a rough crowd. And even when I told them that those are mine, they said, those ain't yours. You ain't that good at nothing. So I never really mentioned it again. But for me, Miss Sandberg was so excited that she took me to my counselor, Mr. Thomas, and started working out plans to get me to go to, after I graduated high school, an art school, a reputable art school. So Parsons in Los Angeles was the first choice. And the second choice was Southern Methodist University, which is SMU. Both of them have excellent ceramics schools. And she recommended them to me so that I would have a nice fruitful career because of the reputation of the schools. So I took her advice and did all the stuff that I had to do to keep my grades going, how many credits that I needed. 
and all of the things above. I had a conversation with my mother about going to Parsons and about going to SMU. And this is the first time that she gave me discouraging words. She said, as an artist, it's really, really hard to make a living. So I would recommend that you don't go to ceramic school and that you keep on studying until you find something that's a little bit more lucrative. I was disappointed, but nonetheless, you know, I want to take my mother's advice over my ceramics teacher. Well, as the years went by, I actually did go back to SMU to the ceramic school and shown the class because during stand-up comedy, I got to travel the country. So I did make it to one of the schools. But Miss Sandberg, years later, made it to one of my shows. So here I am, 30 years later after high school, at a show at a club in Jacksonville, Florida. I get a note, Miss Sandberg is here. I was like, whoa, Miss Sandberg from high school? And they said, yes. She said she was your high school ceramics teacher. So after my show, I ran in the back and she was in the back room with two of her children who are now grown. She said, do you remember me? And I said, of course I remember you. You're Miss Sandberg. You tried to get me into college. She said, well, you saved my life. I said, well, what do you mean I saved your life? She said, well, I had a brain tumor and it was very, very severe. I went into a very delicate surgery to remove this brain tumor. Well, the surgery didn't go too well because it didn't come back to consciousness. I went into a coma for four months. They didn't know if they were going to be able to get me out either. So people were worried. Of course, my family was worried the most and I was in a helpless state. Well, somewhere in my mind, I heard your voice loud and clear. I knew that it was Tommy Davidson. I knew that somehow Tommy Davidson was directly talking into both ears. Well, surprisingly, I woke up out of the coma and I looked at the television above my bed and you were on TV. You were actually on TV and the first thing I saw when I came out of my coma and it was your voice that brought me out. She said, so you saved my life. I said, no, Miss Sandberg. It was just the kindness and the love that you showed me and showed me that I can accomplish something and given me that confidence and led me to my current success just came back to you. What goes around, comes around. You played it forward. We keep in touch. I love her tremendously. And she's been a very integral part of my life. If you're craving more stories from Tommy, he recently published a memoir that shares a bunch of juicy stories from his life. From growing up with a white family in Washington, D.C., to making it as an entertainer. It's called Living in Color, What's Funny About Me. And it's available wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening. Catch part two of this episode with Wild Black on Sunday, May 31st. Our next cycle is all about dating. Sliding in the DMs, to be exact. How's your dating life these days? Are you on the apps? On them Zoom dates? All the online dating has us wondering how y'all's DMs must look, so we want to hear the stories. What happened? Tell us the story. Visit youhadmeatblack.com slash at the house to share with us. There you'll find tips to help you tell a bomb ass story in five minutes or less. We can't wait to hear it. You Had Me at Black was created by two sisters. That's us, Martina and Brittany Abrahams. We produced this podcast along with Richard White. And Miles Dotson, our sound designer and engineer, he makes us sound good.